So our reading today is taken from Acts chapter 12, and it can be found on the back of your Bibles on page 1044, or if you've got the large print Bibles, it's 1950. Peter's miraculous escape from prison. It was about this time the king, that King Herod arrested some who, who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw this, met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guards to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was asleep between two soldiers bound by two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put, your clothes, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak round you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison. But he had no idea that what the angel asked him to do was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything that the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And then we go on to verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a mere mortal. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. This is the word of the Lord. We pray that you will bless us at this harvest time, that as we gaze into your word and into your face, so, Lord, we will meet with you and be filled with good things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good to be with you. So today's sermon series is asking us to look at the subject of hostility and growth. 
So I'm going to begin with a question. Have you got the heart of a hero? I don't know how much the word hostility affects you when you think about your walk with Jesus. Your witness for him in today's society, either here in the UK or indeed in our world. This morning in the early congregation, we had somebody with us who regularly goes and does evangelistic missions in Malawi. And he sees many coming to Christ. And I'm sure um, we actually had the privilege of talking with him yesterday. He would tell us that mission is wonderfully fruitful because of God's anointing spirit and the power and growth that each contact brings for the kingdom. That in the light of that, the opposition or the hostility experienced, whether spiritual or physical, is worth it. And he certainly nodded this morning to say, yes, it's worth it. Now, uh, you'll find the Acts reading on page 1044 if you want to follow that this morning, Acts chapter 12. Thank you for reading that, Pam. Uh, it tells us what's going on for Peter. And the passage is headed in my NIV Bible, Peter's miraculous escape from prison, and it also records Herod's death. Now, this Herod was not the Herod of the time of Jesus' birth, nor was he the Herod who passed Jesus over to Pontius Pilate, you know, the one that killed John the Baptist. This Herod had courted the Romans, and he wanted to please the people he ruled over. So anybody who was seen as a dissenter was to be dealt with swiftly. And this one in Brownie Points with the local Jewish authorities, Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, you'll remember James and John were the disciples that actually said to Jesus, Oh, Lord, can we sit one on your right and one on your left when you're in heaven? And he said, No, uh, that I cannot tell you. But can you drink of the cup of suffering that I will be drinking of? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And indeed, this James was the first of the apostles after Stephen to be killed for his faith. Now, his death really pleased the Jews. So as Herod saw this, oh, you know, everybody's quite happy with this, he had Peter arrested, knowing him to be the chief of the apostles and somebody with a real name and some authority with this dissenting group, no doubt with the complete intention of killing him too. Now, it was the Passover, and I wonder what Peter was thinking about his prison. Of course, it was at the Passover that Jesus was arrested too, and I'm sure things must have been going on in Peter's mind, even things that were long forgotten by Jesus. Peter was the servant of the Most High God and a faithful apostle. But because it was the Passover, Peter was kept in prison until he could have a public trial. But the church of God was earnestly praying for him. Now the church of God went to prayer. They went to prayer. And you'll see in the bit that was left out of the reading that there was amazing answer to prayer. 
So, that, so much so that when Peter was delivered and turned up at the door, they thought it was like his spirit that was there. And as she rushed in to tell everybody, look, you know, Peter's out there, they said, no, can't be so. So we can see there are two growth areas that have resulted from this hostility. With Peter, who's certainly come a long way since the fireside encounter with Jesus and with the church, who in this situation, who turned to prayer, not despair. Growth. Praying together when things get tough is absolutely right. Isn't it, Toby? It's the thing to do. The early church practiced community, living together, praying together, studying together, worshipping together, breaking bread together. And this was an urgent need that had come. The leader of the apostles was in danger, so they gathered to pray. Now, the night before Peter was to come to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Imagine that. I'm wondering if in Peter's mind he was thinking, well, Jesus actually said to me, when you are old, people will come to you and they will bind you and they will take you to a place you don't want to go. So I wonder if those words had resonance, resonance in his, his mind. So there was Peter, sleeping between two soldiers, imagine that, bound with two chains, two more soldiers posted at the door. So the angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Wasn't enough to wake Peter, who must have been sleeping as a baby to have missed that. The guards missed it too. So we don't know whether they were put into a deep sleep or not. The angel struck Peter in the side and commanded him to get up. He did, and his chains fell off. He did as he was told. He put his clothes on, his sandals, and he wrapped the cloak around himself. And Peter followed the angel out of the prison, but he had no idea what was really happening to him. Now, he didn't have any idea what was happening to him, and I wonder if that's because he'd already had this vision, hadn't he, in Cornelius's house, and he thought perhaps he was having another vision and that this was not real. But the big iron gate opened all by itself, and then they walked the length of one street, and the angel left him. And Peter already had this vision at Cornelius's house, so perhaps he thought he was having another vision. I love the next bit. Verse 11, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything that the Jewish people were anticipating. God is God. Peter got it. No doubts. The Lord sent an angel and he was rescued from his anticipated death at the hands of Herod and the Jewish authorities. God had a purpose, and the purpose was clear. This was not his desire for Peter's life or for the church at this time. No doubts was a massive statement for Peter. And when we're going through difficulty and hostility, it's a massive thing for us to move into the place where we trust accept that God will be God over a situation 
and rest easily, even sleep deeply, knowing that God will make a way where there is no way. The church got their lesson in answered prayer, so much so, it seems that their expectations in answered prayer had to grow to the same level as their making of requests. We're a bit like that too, don't you think? We come to God, we ask him for things. Where's our expectation level? And do we share when God has answered a prayer and given us a sense of deliverance in any situation that's affecting us? And that's something that's so important for us as the community of Christ to share with each other and to grow each other's faith to another level. The people rejoiced in the deliverance that Peter had. The guards around Peter did not rejoice. Herod had them executed for this escape. Peter had the heart of a hero. He trusted. And if you take the word hero, by the way, and add a D onto the end, you end up with Herod. Well, you wouldn't want a heart like his under any circumstances. If you look at the last verse of our reading today, you will see that Herod died in front of the crowd at the theatre. He had a robe on that shone in the sun, very splendid indeed. I actually can't remember what the name of this material was, but when I looked it up, it was something that was so translucent that as the sun caught it, it will have given this shining image, which is such a contrast to the light that the angel was spreading into the cell. But he was doing this in the theatre where all the people from these different areas were gathered. So he looked very splendid. He was the one who had a bit of a hold over them as well. He could provide for the people around and they needed his favour. So they called him a god and he loved it. He took God's glory and he died for it. No, we want the heart of a hero one who gives glory to God at all times. 1 Peter 4 verse 14 says this, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of Christ rests upon you. Verse 16, the same passage also says, However, if you suffer for being a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, Peter wrote his letter, Peter, chapter 1, and in chapter 4, you'll see where his heart truly is. He is for living for God and understands that living for him will mean suffering may come too. He doesn't mean that we should suffer because we're actually doing wrong, but that we will suffer for doing right. Jesus did, and he is our ultimate example of obedience and trust. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, Paul says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So in verse 16, we're exhorted to fix our eyes on what is unseen and not what is seen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, the early church lived in the light of disturbances, of hostility for the sake of Christ, and they received encouragements to keep on keeping on in the light of these problems. They fixed their eyes on Jesus and eternity, the light beyond, and they lived intentional lives, 
using the moment today brings for the sake of the kingdom. The Zimbabwe Christians under witness under the reign of Mugabe have suffered so much at the hands of that regime. And yet they have stood and their witness, their testimony has brought so many more to Christ. The Bishop of Jos and his family in Nigeria, the suffering that had gone on in that family and one of their sons died for his faith and his wife was the most atrocious abuse to her body by uh, the rebels. But they did not lose their witness for Christ and the church grew because God's glory rested on his people. We grow through the difficulty we experience and we can know the promise that his glory is resting on us if we suffer because we are Christians. We can stand intentionally in the place of having the heart of a hero by the power and anointing grace of the Holy Spirit and by our meditating on the character and the nature of God, of knowing him, that he is God and that he is in control even in the most difficult situations and circumstances. I want you to think about how we do that, how we meditate on God. And Psalm 77 was one of the appointed psalms in our lectionary readings this week. That's the readings that are appointed in the Anglican Church for us to do in morning prayer. And in Psalm 77, it's really quite clear that the psalmist knew of distress, of seeking the Lord, of stretching out untiring hands, of not knowing comfort in the soul, knowing about groaning and a faint spirit. He felt it was God himself who kept his eyes from closing, from getting any sleep, being too troubled to even speak. He remembered back to when times were better, when he sang songs in the night. He felt rejection by God and wondered whether he would ever know his, his presence with him again. He knew that God was a God of unfailing love, but he wondered whether his love had vanished whether his promise had failed for all time, whether his mercy had been forgotten, and whether because he was angry, he'd withheld his compassion. These are all human emotions when we're going through stuff that is really difficult. Sometimes we think we should be in this stoic place where we don't feel any of those feelings. We're human, and that is not true. But we can grow through the process of actually fixing our eyes on him. He meditated, the psalmist meditated and he remembered, he waited, he listened, he reflected and saw God in the true sight, not in his human response to difficulty and suffering. He looked at creation and the power around him. He looked at the rain and the thunder and the whirlwinds, the trembling and the quaking and he remembered God's deliverance of his people through the sea and many other times, even though God's footprints were not seen. So I think this is a good place for us to, to be and as your homework, maybe read that psalm and just see how clearly it can speak to our spirits and enable us to pray in a way that will open us up with our own issues to God and to fix our eyes afresh on him. The early church living in the light of disturbance knew 
who God was in those moments of difficulty. And probably the Psalms were part of their guiding force. So knowing the Bible and what it teaches is completely central to our being able to stand and to trust the person and the nature of God. Spending time with God in prayer. Spending time with God reading the scriptures. Spending time with other Christians learning. Spending time with each other praying. Spending time listening to each other's stories of difficulty and deliverance. Hearing those testimonies building our faith. Having a community centered on Christ. And from that place going into all the world and proclaiming that we have a saviour who loves those that you will be sent to, that he longs for them to enter into his saving grace and his covenant promises. Standing firm, being confident that things will work out, being constant and fearless. These words describe the rock-like temperament that you and I should display in the face of attacks and onslaughts by our opponents and adversaries, both physical and spiritual. Now, I know that we don't face some of the kind of difficulties that the early church were facing in the Acts readings, but we do face insidious difficulties and hostilities when we stand on the truth of God's clear teaching and his character. And sometimes even in our own families, we experience that, don't we, for being Christians. They don't understand. They think we've got some sort of weird cult thing going on. Or with the people that we stand with in, um, in the gate where our children go to school, in our workplace. We're made in his clear image and he wants us to shine as lights in the world to glory of God the Father, which is part of our baptismal prayer. So when problems arise, and they will from time to time, we're not to assume that the Lord will intervene and take care of all of our problems without an invitation. Like the early church when they prayed for Peter in prison, we're to pray and ask him to change our circumstances and then it's our job to remain constant and unchanging. Shortened to one word, to trust. Trusting is one of the most helpful prayers that I know God has given me. I just say, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust. And there's something really calming in that as you give your circumstances over you don't even have to name them, but you trust. You say, it's you, Lord, I'm trusting in. So I exhort you to stand. I ask you to meditate on God and his ways. I exhort you to hold a regular quiet time and study the Bible. I ask you to remain constant in times of difficulty and trust him, as well as to ask him to change things. And I plead with you not to give up witnessing because of fear. The Christians in Acts 12 were suffering because of their witness. And here's the clever bit. Their witness was successful and people were coming to know Christ, which is still every created human being's right to know that God loves them and has made a way for them to find their way back to him through the cross of Jesus.
Paul experienced a lot to take the gospel to the early world, and he was persecuted, beaten, thrown into prison for preaching the good news. Many times he suffered because of the opposition, as he describes in 2 Timothy. Paul says this of Alexander the coppersmith. He's done me great wrong, but I'm not going to worry about it, and we're not going to get full of bitterness and hatred. I'm going to let God handle it. He will take care of it. Peter walked with the same heart, the heart of a hero. How much better our lives would be if we took that attitude towards so many things. I long to do that. If we would just cast our cares on the Lord and allow him to handle them for us. That truly is the heart of a hero. And that's what I really, really want. How about you? Father, we thank you for this amazing deliverance that Peter had. It's a bit like our own amazing deliverances, Lord, from not knowing you and knowing forgiveness of our sins. Our chains fell off. Our hearts are free. We rise and we walk forth and we follow you. And we just want to say thank you for the story that's got so many other stories written deep within it, that you will help us to meditate on your word, Lord, and to grow through our difficulties. In the name of Christ, amen.